Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Piki mai, kaki mai, and welcome to our changing world. From Radio New Zealand National. And now, in a slightly bee-themed Our Changing World, light and the power it has over our daily rhythms and sleep cycles. Light drives our biological clock, but it can get out of sync during a general anaesthetic. Guy Warman at the University of Auckland has been investigating why that is the case, using honeybees and other animal models. But he is now preparing for a trial with kidney donor patients to see if light therapy can improve their post-surgery recovery. Veronica meets him at Auckland City Hospital to find out more about the biological significance of the light. Light's terribly important for circadian clocks, so all organisms that you choose to look at have got innate endogenous um, biological clocks, and those clocks are adjusted on a daily basis by light and light is the primary time cue to keep us all adjusted to a 24-hour day. Now, there's a lot of research looking at what happens to that clock when you say working shifts and living more in artificial than in natural light for whatever reasons. But you're looking specifically at the effect of anesthesia on this clock. How disruptive is it to be out for a while? So, yeah, this is really a, a central question is how much anesthesia shifts the circadian clock and what the consequences are for sleep post-operatively and post-operative recovery. So for a number of years we've been looking at this, examining the effect of anaesthesia on um, circadian clocks in animals and in humans. And it appears that um, uh, anaesthesia does have an effect on the clock and that that is one of the causes of sleep that's disrupted after an operation. That can affect things like wound healing and immune function and the whole recovery process after an operation. So one of the things that we're particularly interested in is, is how that happens, uh, which we're studying in animal models, and what the real-world relevance is really for um, patients undergoing anaesthesia and operations. And then as a, as a subsequent step, what we're interested in is what we might be able to do about that disruption, because we are uh, certain that there is disruption to the skating clock and sleep postoperatively. And we're looking at different mechanisms that we could employ to reduce that sleep disruption. One of the primary ones being the possibility that, that light uh, might be effective in reducing the amount of sleep disruption that you have after your operation. A bit like resetting the clock after you wake up again. Indeed. The idea of, of, of either resetting or preventing the disruption that's attributable to general anaesthesia from occurring. How similar is anaesthesia to a sleep? So there are some similarities between anaesthesia and sleep. When you are anaesthetized, you, your brain behaves very much like in slow-wave sleep. But natural sleep is an active process. Uh, over the course of the night, you, you change between dreaming sleep, REM sleep, and uh, different stages of, of slow-wave sleep, from, from light sleep through to very deep sleep. So there are some similarities, but, but there are some obvious differences. And one of the things that, that led us to the work that we're looking at uh, is 
one of these questions of how does anaesthesia um, look like sleep? And one of the, with the obvious things there is that um, when you wake up from anaesthesia, sometimes your, your clock is shifted. Uh, but when you wake up from natural sleep, it isn't. So you lose the time, essentially. Mm. Well, this, this work that I'm talking about has primarily been done in uh, animal models in, in honeybees. Uh, but this is exactly what we're looking at at the moment in humans, is, is to what extent uh, they are jet-lagged, what, to what extent their sleep is shifted, and to what extent their sleep is disrupted, and whether we can actually do something about that to improve their post-operative recovery. Can you tell me a bit more about the, the trials or the research you now have with people rather than bees or other animal models? Sure. So um, the trial that we're currently working on, this is work that uh, one of my PhD students, Nicola Luden, is, is working on together with Dr Cheeseman and, and myself. And um, she's looking at uh, kidney donor patients that present a very um, uh, interesting patient population. They're people that are healthy that are undergoing major surgery that they don't require. So they don't have an underlying disease that's affecting their, their sleep. And what we're looking at is we're looking at their sleep for a period of time before their operation and um, after their operation. And we're looking at the different effects of light and placebo light on how disrupted their sleep is after their just, operation. You've got some of the experimental setup here, how you do it. It's just goggles basically on their eyes? Indeed, in indeed. So after the patients are anaesthetized, we put these masks on their, on their faces and uh, they receive light for the duration of their anaesthetic. And so a we'll constant then, flow of light or do you no, pass them with it's light? It's intermittent light um, and that's uh, just experimentally important to reduce uh, possible effects attributable to heating and things like that. How can you monitor the possible effect of this? Is there a placebo group to compare against? What do you actually check with the patients afterwards mm -hmm. or with the donors afterwards? So what we're doing uh, in the kidney donor study is we're measuring people's um, sleep and their circadian rhythms for up to a week before their operation. And then during their operation they receive one of two different treatments. They either receive light or a placebo light during their anesthesia. And we measure exactly those same parameters post-operatively for a week. So we measure their, their sleep objectively using um, what's called actigraphy, a wrist-worn device that measures overall movement. And from that you can, you can work out how well people are sleeping and when they're sleeping. Uh, we also collect urine and uh, look at the major metabolite of melatonin in their urine called 6-sulfatoxymelatonin. And we measure core body temperature. And the way that we do that is with an ingestible um, temperature pill that they swallow. And that um, uh, transmits their, their core temperature to a, to a base unit uh, every minute. And we measure that for three consecutive days before surgery and after surgery. And so by doing that, we have a, a good handle on, on sleep and also markers of the circadian clock, which we compare between the two groups. So we can look at the difference between before surgery and after surgery. And we can compare any differences between the treatment group with light and the placebo light group. So perhaps back to the bees, how much do we know what actually happens? So from our, our work uh, that we did, Dr. Cheeseman and I did for a number of years on bees, we are clear that um, a period of anaesthesia during the daytime in bees shifts them to a later time zone. So if they have a six hour period of anaesthesia, when they emerge from that anaesthetic or wake up, um, they behave as though uh, 
at least three or four hours have not passed. So they're effectively shifted from New Zealand to Sydney time. Uh, and um, not only that, they also behave as if they think it's that time of the day. So they fly in a particular direction with respect to the sun that tells us uh, that they think it's earlier in the day. So the way in that which that works, we managed to work out from looking at the expression or the, or the turning on of their circadian clock genes. So there are a specific set of genes uh, that control our behavioral rhythms and control the behavioral rhythms of bees. And from looking at the expression patterns of those genes, we can um, show that, that the anesthesia is acting directly at a molecular level to cause this time shift. And bees obviously being perfect study animals for this because they really do have a sense of the time where the sun is in the sky, what time it is, and how long a trip to a particular patch of food would take. Indeed, indeed, and that's, and that's really the rationale for using bees. The other interesting thing we found about the bees is that when we gave the um, anesthesia at the same time as strong light, that shift that we observed uh, went away. So that really is the rationale for looking at this in, in mammals and in our human trial, uh, is whether we really behave the same way as bees do. If we give light during a period of anesthesia, is that shift, is that disruption reduced? With people, I mean, with animals, you can you can put them into anesthesia and not actually do the surgery. With people, it's usually, even with the kidney donors, it's significant surgery. Can you exclude any effect that that might have, the fact that you wake up in pain and that there's some you know significant trauma to your body, really? Mm, that's a very good point. But, of course, um, uh, the ethics of giving people anesthesia who don't require it and um, and don't need surgery is at best debatable. Um, certainly there is a, a fundamental difference between what we're able to do in an animal model and what we're able to do in humans. That's why we're, we're examining the effect of anesthesia, surgery and hospitalisation in patients because it really is unethical to give people anesthesia that don't require it. To do it any other way. Mm. So in, in that sense the kidney donors are the best group because they're essentially healthy people going into this? Indeed, indeed. You know, the kidney donors are, are healthy so they sleep um, before their operation isn't compromised by an underlying disease state. And your hope would be that by reducing or even um, completely avoiding this impact on the chronological clock, it would give people a faster recovery, better recovery? That's the working hypothesis. We know that um, by having disrupted sleep and by having disrupted scadian rhythms, uh, it, it does compromise a whole range of different things. Mood is the obvious one, but also more subtle things like uh, immune function and wound healing. So if we can reduce the amount of circadian clock or biological clock disruption uh, by something relatively trivial like light, uh, then we might actually stand a chance of, of speeding up post-operative recovery um, by improving not only mood but uh, wound healing and immune function. Could you extend this to just thinking of people who might have sleep disruption for other reasons? So there's a lot of work around the world being done on light therapy for different disorders and a lot of it is very convincing particularly people in rest home environments people with dementia people with seasonal affective disorder which is this um, sort of winter depression that some people experience a whole range of different disorders are very effectively treated by light therapy and this is really a, a, a different um, approach to looking at the effectiveness of light in anesthesia induced clock disruption 
but certainly the overseas studies, particularly those by Professor Wirtz Justison in Switzerland, um, show that light is extremely effective in combating major depressive illnesses. That was Guy Warman from the School of Medicine at the University of Auckland. He's the first of 10 scientists who work with light and will be touring the country to talk about their research to mark International Year of Light. You can find out more about the Royal Society of New Zealand's Luminaries Lecture Series on our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. Or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.